The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists. Where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that healthcare has to truly become consumer first, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. We'll get there faster together, so come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about building the healthcare of tomorrow. We're approaching 200 episodes and four years on the air, people. We're now in season six, where we're focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer-first care and digging into the details of how to make it happen. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about turning up the heat on uninspired healthcare branding. How do organizations seize the opportunity to show that they understand consumers? I'll talk about that. Then Justin Knott from Entropy Healthcare Marketing is in the house to share some provocative thinking about a favorite topic of mine, how better marketing can lead to a better healthcare experience. We'll dive deep into the front lines of digital engagement and how to have those conversations with providers who still don't understand why they need to be addressing consumers at all. This episode's jam-packed and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. It's time to turn up the heat on uninspired healthcare branding. For all the time and money and effort that goes into this vital part of healthcare's consumer presence, I'm desperately trying to understand how, on the surface, they seem to miss the mark so often. Much has been said about recent rebrands of major health systems and how they utterly fail to connect with consumer sentiment, or for that matter, move the needle for anyone other than doctors and administrators. The headlines aren't necessarily flattering. A major national system unites 49 brands by simply adding the word Florida to their name. A five-hospital system in Illinois spends $4 million to drop the word system from the end of their brand. Another well-known regional system spends a reported $100 million on their rebrand that was first announced over two years ago, and their new logo looks remarkably like you're using Samsung Pay's mobile app. Again, this is reaction based on the surface, but that's how you have to think if you're a consumer. And for many, it feels like these rebrands are just to gain leverage against payers and competitors. I'm not ignoring that those are pieces of the puzzle, and I have seen some examples that seem to make more sense, like a hospital in Chicago changing its name earlier this year to represent its ongoing commitment to serving community members in a particular neighborhood and honoring its multi-ethnic heritage. But that's the exception, not the rule. Here are three things to consider about rebrands as more consolidations and mergers are on the horizon. First, branding is our opportunity to show that we understand the broader context of consumers' lives and not just their healthcare choices. It's our chance to show that we understand their health needs that happen well before they choose a provider. People want health and wellness, not healthcare. Our brand is our opportunity to show that. 
Second, branding is an opportunity to use trust and goodwill to improve people's lives by making healthcare easier and providing trusted information. I've been saying this for years, and it's even more true today that most people are begging for someone to guide them through the healthcare landscape. Your brand can be seen as merely a growth driver, which is important, but I'm convinced it can drive growth even faster by focusing on the good that it can do. Brands can influence consumers' choices. Is that a main factor during a rebranding campaign? Can we at least try to make them sound like something that people should care about? Third, to all the doubters that say consumer companies don't stand a chance of succeeding in healthcare, I say it's because of their brands that they do stand a chance. They understand that all of the factors of their brand presence, including their visual identity, online reputation, and digital experience, have the power to create an ongoing relationship that makes them and keeps them relevant. That's why brand is one of the four foundational elements of making healthcare consumer first, along with new care models, experiences based on human-centered design, and the tech architecture to build those new experiences. It's time for healthcare brands to seize the opportunity and show that they understand consumers. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Okay, listeners of this week, I'm so excited. We've got Justin Nod in the house. Justin's here to share some provocative thinking about how improving our marketing can actually improve healthcare for consumers. A really cool topic. Uh, Justin's the CEO and co-founder of Entropy Healthcare Marketing. Uh, so many of you know him. Uh, he's one of the hosts of the Patient Convert podcast, a very popular podcast. One of my favorites, honestly, because they go into really the nuts and bolts of how do you market better? And there's so much to what we do in this discipline. Thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me, Jared. I'm excited to to be on. We actually had you a couple months back. Anybody that's that's listened to our podcast to actually talk about one of your major areas of expertise in, in branding and how it is different from marketing. So I'm excited to to talk about this topic. I think it's a critical one. Yeah, my, my background, as you said, we, we started our agency about 10 years ago. I came from the early stage investing in startup space and really worked my way into healthcare and, and have only worked in healthcare uh, from a marketing agency standpoint. That's all we do. And even more specifically, it's multi-location specialty practices. So we're really helping physicians define and tell their story that, that makes their practice unique online. And, and then as you're talking about, help them use marketing to what we call attract, convert, retain patients. But there's two sides that we got to get patients through the door and then we got to use marketing to to keep them in there and then hopefully improve care and, and educate patients through the, the whole entire process. Because I think patients are as much more hungrier than they ever have been. And in the specialty world, it was such a foreign concept for so many years to think of a patient coming from a direct online search for an orthopedic practice or a neurology group or a urology group. And and it's not all referral-based ecosystem. And in fact, a lot of practices are are really trying to achieve a 50-50 split goal, 50% referral and 50% direct to patient. You do that through good marketing. There's so much to, to dive into there, Justin. And it's great to hear, first and foremost, that we are back to at least pre-pandemic, some level of activity because when everything shuts down, when everyone turned off everything, I literally thought, I thought from two two different sides. I thought from a marketing side, okay, I guess we have to do this. But from a healthcare standpoint, you know, thinking about uh, like the commu- the health of our communities, I thought there's going to be a lot of care that's put off, and that that worried me also. 
Oh yeah. The cancer screenings. Like we even had, we had the CMO for cancer centers of America, which they have are bar none, one of the gold standards in, in marketing direct to consumer. And even what I was talking about, what has been such a referral dependent ecosystem of cancer, they have built a multi hundred million dollar organization that is world renowned purely off of direct to consumer marketing. But he even said during the COVID 90% of cancer screenings were put to the wayside and we're down that much, which is terrifying to think because you don't see the ramifications of that in year one. You see it in year three and year five and year 10 when the things that were not caught that would have been caught when 90% of people aren't getting screened. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it was a scary, it was a scary thing for really a lot of different practices for sure. Yeah, it really was. I'll tell you what, I get us started on the right foot here. Is there a moment, anything that comes to mind recently of just one of those conversations you had that this is why we do what we do. One of those good days where you just got some feedback. We helped people do something and they saw the value of that. Anything like that recently that you could share with us? We actually had uh, one of our actually longer time clients, but just a validation. Obviously, we talk to them every single month. We're, we're watching the growth. And so we're in tune. So I don't want to bring this up of like, this is the first time I'd heard something like this, but it was just reaffirming. We have a physician that is a very rare type of pain surgeon that works in the piriformis muscles and failed back surgeries and that stuff. And he doesn't take insurance and he is only one of 20 in the country. So there's not many people that go out there and market for that type of thing. And he only needed a few patients, but he has such a passion for helping people. And we actually had him on a podcast recently and this is where it came up. But on the tail end of it, we did a video testimonial that just was, again, one of those reaffirming, this is why we do what we do. And he said, really hiring you guys now, not, not only I booked out four to six months, but it was the best decision I've ever made because I'm the patient volume that I'm seeing is allowing me to help so many more people. And that's a really cool thing to hear, to know what, when you find physicians that are that good at what they do and that passionate to be able to deliver more of the type of patient that they want to see so they can be fulfilled and leave and continue to build their legacy is really one of the major things that we're doing. Cause again, marketing is just a conduit to hopefully try to help millions of more patients by getting them in front of really good physicians. I love that you made that connection right off the bat because we can get so caught up in the minutia of marketing because the, there's more than ever. There's more you have to figure out and understand and master and optimize to do it right than there's ever been. And so we, we can't neglect it, but it's so easy to get lost in it every day and think and just get mired down by all the things that we have going on, everything we're trying to do. There's so many channels, there's so many messages, there's so much data, and it's great to be able to connect like you just did that effort to ultimately helping people be healthier, ultimately patients getting the help they need, getting the care they need. And I, I just think it's a great way of looking at it. So I'm, I'm glad that's, I'm glad you had that conversation. That's really cool. Yeah, because I, I really do think most of the really good physicians, the, the game changers, the uh, category leaders in each of their spaces, and, and I think most physicians in general are really care less about revenue generation and more about patient care. And I know there's a lot of talk around like physicians aren't businessmen and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, they want to keep their doors open. But from a marketing standpoint, that's really, I think what a lot of it is rooted in is, is getting in front of more of the type of patients that they got into healthcare to be able to treat and take care of. And marketing can, can do that and should be able to do that. And, but again, that's really what it all goes back to is, can we get more patients cared for by really good physicians? And can we 
help educate patients and hopefully improve the whole entire engagement funnel processes, outcomes, and everything by connecting more dots in the marketing efforts. I feel like where we can really add a lot of value to our listeners today is just talking through this premise of better marketing and how that can lead to a better patient experience, actually a better healthcare experience overall for consumers, even well before we become patients. And the premise is that marketers hold a key to a lot of information. If they're doing their jobs right, they know patients and their community of consumers probably better than anybody, possibly better than the clinical teams, at least what's going to lead them up to making a choice to come in and have some care, have an appointment, have a procedure done. And they have all this information. They, if they're, again, if they're doing their jobs or they're paying attention to everything, they know how people behave. They know what's going to motivate somebody to seek care in a different way versus put them off and and put them in a bad mood, if you will. Markers really hold the keys to a lot of things. It's this line, this connection that I just don't see talked about that much about how better marketing can lead to a better experience for consumers. First and foremost, what do you think about that statement? Yeah, I 100% agree for sure with that statement. And then I also think if you really step all the way back and look at a kind of what the purpose of the marketing is, like we were talking about a second ago, but really understanding the shift that has been occurring and was accelerated by COVID is patients are much more consumer driven inside of the healthcare ecosystem than ever before. And there's a lot of people that are talking about it, but the ramifications of that means that you really have to treat the marketing a whole lot different than you used to for any types of subspecialties even very referral-based ones because there's so many more considerations and honestly leakage opportunities to your competition than ever before because patients want to feel in control and feel like they're making their own decision. They're educating themselves about who you are, how you take care of patients, and how you do it differently from your competition from a decision-making standpoint. And I think that, again, all is critically important to understand if you're going to go out and you're going to start marketing to patients and marketing with the intent to improve patient care and bring the right type of patient through the door. So you mentioned a split, like 50-50, like a lot of practices you're seeing are going for 50% uh, referrals and 50% of those kind of how you just described those who are going online and searching for, for a provider. When a provider is still questioning that there's any percent who are going to come and search online, yeah. how do you steer that conversation? Walk us through that. Yeah, for sure. I do think, and again, I take this with a grain of salt. I don't mean this anything in relation to COVID and everything that it's done to the country, the people that have passed away. What I mean is purely from, I'm, when I talk about this, I'm talking purely from what it's done to the marketplace is COVID was really a big positive from a mentality shift standpoint. I always call it, I call it the gray hair physicians, but it's like the guys and gals that have been around for 30 or 40 years. And they're the ones that sit on the, at the board table for these large practices that we deal with and are like, why would we ever spend money on marketing? I'm booked out for the next six months and everyone in the community knows my name. But then you got the other guys on the other guys and gals on the other end that are coming out of fellowship that are either trying to make partner or they're trying to bonus or they're just trying to pay their med bill, med school bills. And they're like, can we please get with the times here? And I think when everything shut down with COVID and there was this 
immediate dawned on a lot of people. Like we really don't have a communication method outside of complete reliance on other practices to drive patients to, to reach people. And that was, I think, a really scary moment. And so everyone reevaluated and still been reevaluating, like, how do we start reaching patients directly? I think the other thing that is important too, especially with roll-ups that are occurring and say ortho groups going from three physicians to 30 physicians because of acquisitions and mergers is your safe space is not safe anymore because whether it's a hospital or another large ortho, they're coming for you and they're coming for your territory. And so the longer you decide to just ignore it, the more you're going to feel it at some point in the next year or two when the referrals start getting sucked out of the room and you're scrambling to try to figure something else out. So that's what I always tell them is it's not a matter of if, but when, and it's happening right now. Whether you're feeling it yet or not, there's other organizations that are getting with the times to go educate patients. And again, even if it's a, an 80 to 90% referral-based practice, there is definitely referral leakage happening in your practice if you're not paying attention to just your reputation. Like it goes all the way back to that. If you want to boil it down and say, I want to only focus on one thing. If you've got a crappy reputation because you passively ignored that, then I'd say you're probably losing two to three of every 10 patients that are referred to you because they're going somewhere else. And so if you just want to start there, what is the impact on your bottom line? Look for that. Because say of those three, one of those turns into a surgery, you could be putting, leaving millions of dollars on the table by just simply not doing the bare minimum. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. So the bare minimum. Okay. We've been in the pandemic now for nearly two years, right? What's the bare minimum these days? What do you walk them through in terms of those first steps of like, here's the necessities to manage that reputation, to stop that leakage from happening, or at least reduce it. What's the bare minimum these days? Yeah, that's a great question. I think your website is definitely the bare minimum and it doesn't mean that you have to go out and 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 spend 50 to 100 grand to build this like incredibly game-changing website but it means that you need to be proactive and pay attention to how you're presenting yourself online through your website and the content that's on there to educate patients. Because again, I think it goes back to the consumerism shift in healthcare is patients don't want to go on and read a list of services. They want to go on and be able to do research on your site about you, about how you handle knee pain and knee replacements, or how you do this or that aesthetics procedure, or how your process for no scalpel vasectomy works, like all of that type of stuff. So I think it all starts, it really starts starts and ends there because everything else, if you go the next level up to the things that you should be doing, all really fall back onto your website because you hear a lot about your Google My Business and your reputation and all of that stuff. And it is the driver 
of organic search. And it's a whole different conversation for a different day in terms of what Google is wanting to do and is doing in local search environments to keep people off of your website. But they only can show the information that they're showing with a backbone of how your website is built and the content on it. So I think that is the bare minimum is you need to have content for the things that you want to rank for and show up for. And you need to have a site that is good enough to position you as a thought leader, educate patients appropriately, make it very easy from them from a workflow standpoint to book appointments and interface with you, those types of things. Because without that, really all of the other stuff that you'll attempt to do, whether it's just building reviews on Google My Business or it's getting away more for sophisticated and other conduits of marketing strategy initiatives, it really is all for naught if you don't start there. So I really think that's the bare minimum is, is taking the time and making the effort to invest in a good foundation. Okay, so let's double click on the content part for a minute here because what I've seen and what I've experienced is that word means something very different to most clinicians than it does to a marketer. And the wording sometimes just gets lost. It's not uncommon. One of my favorite phrases was a multidisciplinary approach to the continuum of care. And you just stop and think uh, like that, those kinds of words just flowed out of the mouths of of providers more than once. And they're like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we nailed content. We've got it. We can just do this for days. And zero patients know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Multidisciplinary. That's one of my, I always pick on that word. It's like that's seven syllables you can never get back. Nobody outside the clinic understands what that means. It literally means if there are doctors from other disciplines that need to be on your care team, we'll have them on the care team. And you're like, we'll connect the dots to get you fixed. (laughs) Are you saying you wouldn't have done that before? And and anyway, uh, sidebar there, but content wise, how do you work with the provider to help them understand that balance and how to understand the wording of it to really resonate with the consumer? Because that's part of the experience itself. If the wording is at the level where a consumer is going to understand it, you make it a lot easier for them at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's really important and a difficult thing, especially if it's a group that hasn't heavily or historically invested into the marketing process is retraining them to understand who we're talking to at the patient level and how we're going to communicate to them. That it's not, we're not talking uh, peer-to-peer, practitioner-to-practitioner. And if you want to go that network route, something like LinkedIn or Doximity is for you there. But if you were talking about patient acquisition, which we are, it's about talking to patients from a conversational standpoint. And physicians struggle with that, I think. Obviously, we want accuracy. We want all of that stuff to remain inside of the content and work with the practice side by side. But at the end of the day, we need to write at a 11th to 12th grade reading level that speaks to the journey that the patient is on. And that's, again, I just to say in what kind of one vein using orthopedics as an example is like knee replacements. They want to understand what's causing the knee pain, who's a good candidate for it, how long is, what is the surgery like, how long is the recovery process, all of that type of stuff. And that's what matters. And if you speak to that and, and they a proper reading level, like you're talking about, it's going to make a really big impact. And I think what the other thing we talked to them about content too is most, and we do, I do tons, our team does of what you could call audits or practice assessments as we call them for potential clients that might be good fits. And I'd say 
80 to 90% of them miss the mark on the basics of content. And again, it goes back to what I always say is if you want to rank for it, you need a page for it. And so going and starting with the basics of these are the 30 things that we either treat or what I call the symptoms and conditions and the solutions. So what we treat and how we treat it sides of things, that's where you start. And even a lot of good marketing, or I would say a lot of marketing agencies jump right past that and go right to the blog. Is all I hear about a blog all the time and I do and we do SEO, so we're going to write you blog posts every month or even more ridiculous every quarter and they just completely ignore the thing that really matters and that's the conditions and treatments pages. So I think it starts with understanding who you're writing to and being willing to budge a little on that. And I understand physicians wanting to make sure that the content rings true with their approach and all of the anatomical and med school knowledge that's in there, but you got to write appropriate to the people that you're trying to attract and you got to make sure you got the right amount of content on your website for starters. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if in medical school, there was even like a, a segment in one of the classes about talking to, to consumers, <laughs> like just in uh, helping them understand because everything, it feels like everything in their medical training is based on speaking in a certain way. Knowing that wording is so important. I just feel like that was, that was useful to go through there because it's just something it, it's too easy to neglect and it's too easy to overlook. Yeah, that, that was great. You also mentioned organic search, which I want to dive into here for a moment as well. What's a realistic expectation these days? I know back in the day, it's still so easy to look back and say, look, aren't, we're going to rank for all things. What's a realistic expectation these days? Yeah, for sure. I think realistically, you can win a lot of your core battles. And there's a lot of variability as it is what type of practice type that you're in, what geographical area that you're in, how many people are searching for it from a competition standpoint. So there's a lot of those variable factors, but I think re realistically, you're, you still are going to drive a lot of traffic from calls, website clicks, all that stuff through your Google My Business. And we look at tons and tons of analytics for what I call the franchise model style practices that have 10 plus locations, that kind of stuff. And still at the end of the day, their location pages, again, if they're set up properly, their location pages and their Google My Businesses are driving a huge amount of that traffic, even for symptom and a specific type, type of things. But I do think you can win a lot of battles in a local market for the major stuff that you do, but it's all predicated on the time and the effort spent on building out really strong content on those pages. And again, I always think it's the easiest way to think about it is answering all those FAQs. Physicians are bombarded obviously every day with patients asking FAQs and just put that stuff on the treatment page for the questions they were asking. And you're going to, you're going to win a lot of the battles that the competitors aren't if you do that. And so I think that there is, there's still a ton of success to be had. And it's critically important to have that long-term. So you're not tethered to paid ads because there's so much shifting and so much cost acceleration inside of that space. You've got to be able to win organic search long-term or you're going to get screwed at some point. But I think realistically that Google to our benefit is just getting more and more localized and smarter and smarter about how they're crawling sites and the information they're presenting. So if you just do things right and stay local, there's a lot that you can do to drive new patients through the door. What else haven't we touched on that helps you make that connection between marketing better and making healthcare easier for consumers? What makes marketing and healthcare fun but also difficult, unlike a lot of other industries that are out there, is the fragmentation because of the EHR 
stuff being such a mess is in a lot of other industries, call it real estate or e-com or a car dealership. It's very linear because there's not a HIPAA compliance component. So you can sign up with something like a Salesforce if you're feeling ballsy or like HubSpot or ActiveCampaign or something like that. And you hook up your payment processor, you hook up this, you hook up that and leads flow in and they stay there for the lifetime. So you can run reporting on uh, source and attribution. You can run reporting on lifetime value of clients, like all of that stuff. But in healthcare, that still has not really been figured out especially at a, ma- a mass scale because you've got like 5,000 EHRs. So in our case, 70% of our clients use d- different EHRs. So you come in, you start marketing, and then where does all that data go? <laughs> and, and can you an- integrate with it? Like you talk about some of the EHRs that are just like, they don't even have support that you can email to try to accomplish something like that. And so I think trying to solve for that piece and with the rise of the patient engagement platform side of things, some EHRs have gotten into that game and some people are purely like Clara and those are appointment scheduling and patient engagement, patient retention and schedule filling of cancellations occur, that stuff is you, you have to start looking into that and try not to over software yourself, but you've got to get some tools that are in there. If your EHR is not providing it, either make a move to one that does or look at a tool that can hook in because you need you need to be able to schedule patients online. You need to be able to send them appointment reminders. You need to be able to fill slots for cancellations. You need to be able to communicate with people, whether it's over two-way text message or via email securely. You need to be able to offer that stuff because that's where that's what matters to patients now. And there was a big fear, I think, even with COVID that the baby boomer generation would not be able to get with the times from a tech stack standpoint. And that is just simply not the case. There's something like a one or 2% adoption difference between under 50 and over 50. So everyone wants it, they're asking for it and they need it. So if you're going to even just keep up at this point, you need to be looking at how you can use patient engagement tools and technology to stay engaged as well as to easily onboard and bring patients in. If you're still handing them a clipboard and they're filling out paperwork, you're behind the eight ball. Like you got to start solving for that because it's not even a good use of your front desk time and you're losing so much data in that process too. Such a good reminder. All right, before we go here, Justin, being a fellow podcaster, I'm really curious, either a favorite moment, something recently, or just how is it going for you with the podcast? Tell us more about it. Podcast is going great. I, I love podcasting. It's just... I think two things, we have been trying to make a shift. Kelly and I really, even more Kelly, I'd say 100% more Kelly, is really into obviously LinkedIn video. And we have a video studio. If I turn my camera on, that's sitting right behind me that we do all of our video content stuff. So I really wanted to set out to, again, as Jared, good content is really about is aggregation, cutting it up and distributing it as much as you can so you don't kill yourself. So I've been really on a mission to figure out how do we take one and make many and not just have podcast audio as a medium. So we've really started to shift over to using StreamYard, which has been our LinkedIn Live platform. And it's really the the best of the best. But booking out podcast interviews and doing them as a LinkedIn Live that can then be put onto YouTube so it's not just audio and then take that audio component, do all of the process that you know very well 
of getting it up, creating graphics, but then you get on the other side of it and you've got LinkedIn Live that's been posted through on LinkedIn. You've got a YouTube video, you've got a podcast, you've got graphics that are created for that podcast to promote for you and the guest, and you turn that into audiograms. Then you take the show notes and you turn it into a blog post. And you're talking about each podcast can deliver dozens of pieces of content long-term. So we've really been trying to shift to that. And, and we've seen a lot of great success with it because there's just so many different mediums now to be able to promote that. And honestly, keep your, keep your content pipeline full, which is one of the biggest things. And then I'd say, honestly, on the other side from a behind the curtain thing is I think one of the lessons that we learned through our podcasting journey, especially we started it like two months before COVID, which was terrible timing, but who would have known, is doing it in a season model versus just trying to fluidly create the content and then release every Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. Life happens, especially with having a one-year-old kid. And so we've, I think, been a little more sporadic than I would prefer. And that's really building download loyalty and, and consistent listenership is really all about creating consistent and good content. And so the consistency is one of the two major keys is good. Obviously, you got to not talk about crap. But that I'd say was the other feedback, especially anybody listening out there that's trying to start a podcast is I'd probably recommend after being almost exactly two years into our journey is go seasons. Then all you have to do is just like when we do the video stuff is you just have to focus on promotion. And versus us, we're like booking out a month in advance, recording and then dropping it down. What happens is it's undoubtedly you're going to miss opportunities, I think. So those are probably the two sides going really good. We've learned some and we've learned some lessons in the process too. Oh, to say the least, and you guys are killing it. Just so you know, it's a great show. Uh, listeners, if you haven't checked it out, it's the Patient Convert podcast. And yeah, you're so right. Like the the road is littered with, with the graveyard of podcasts that just didn't factor any of that in and thought they could really just turn yep. a microphone yep. on and, and things would flow. And they ran out of topics a few, a few weeks into it. And they're wondering why they didn't like the world on fire. And it is a lot of work, but it's it going is. in with some of those things you just mentioned about planning to repurpose and having that editorial calendar and, and having a few things set up before you get going. Yeah, I can I completely agree. And just I think keep your eyes and ears open. And just like you and I are in are in networking groups and in, in the networking group you have shift health for the podcasting side is learn from learn from the others. Like you've been in the podcasting game for a whole lot longer than I have and you have a whole lot more knowledge on it of those bumps and bruises that you've taken along the way and the successes and the wins uh, from building your download, your downloads and finding good guests and all of that stuff. So go out and ask people that are in your niche or that are having success. 99% of them are not a-holes and they're more than happy to share their wealth of knowledge with you if you're just trying to grow and learn and make the podcasting community a better world or whatever it is you're focused on. But yeah, just go ask people that are having success and 99% of them are happy to share just like we're doing now. Justin, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for giving us yeah, so much time and sharing so much value. Where can listeners connect with you? Our website is entropy, I-N-T-R-E-P-Y, entropy.com. And again, the agency is Entropy Healthcare Marketing. If you just even type that into to Google, you'll find it. I'm very active on LinkedIn, as I mentioned. So if you send me a connection request, it's Justin Knott, K-N-O-T. I will be happy to, again, give any advice. You'll see a lot of content on there that we're really heavily focused on helping practices get better at marketing. And then obviously the Patient Convert podcast, as you mentioned, I'd love to have uh, more listeners out there. And because we were, again, really just trying to focus on building as much valuable content to help physicians and practices continue to grow and, grow and stay with the times like we've been talking about today. So yeah, LinkedIn, website, and go check out our podcast. We're on all the major podcast listening platforms. Fantastic. Stay safe, stay well, all the best and everything you've got going on. Take care. 
Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we wanna capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.